this is Shannon from SIS4Teachers.org. Thanks so much for joining us for our blog this week. We're going to be talking about the addition of fractions. How did you learn how to add fractions as a child? I remember my teacher telling me to add the numerators and just keep the denominator the same. I also vividly remember asking why. Why am I adding the top number but not the number on the bottom? My teacher always answers because that's just how you do it. Think about this problem, 5 sevenths plus 6 sevenths. The rule says to add the numerators and keep the denominators the same. So I go across and add 5 plus 6. Then I keep the bottom numbers and the answer is 11 sevenths. When we think about that, does that make sense? Many students face this same problem as they're going about looking at different rules for denominators. So if you get 11 fourteenths maybe as your answer, if you added the numerator and the denominator together, while that looks like it should be right, after all, you're added the top numbers and then added the bottom numbers, right? Of course. I mean, we know that isn't the answer at all. Teachers will tell students to go back and do it right, meaning go back and follow the procedure, right? But does this procedure we're supposed to follow actually help students understand the why before teaching them the how? Do students in your classroom really understand what's happening when you're adding fractions? Do they understand what that whole fraction is? Do they understand benchmark fractions as they're adding? In this blog, we're going to see how we can use CPA, Concrete Pictorial Abstract Means, to help our students to understand what's going on with the addition of fractions. Let's first start off with this term called improper fractions. Let's go back to that problem, 5 sevenths plus 6 sevenths. What is the procedure to follow if we did it correctly and we got 11, cents, 11 sevenths? The answer is what some people might call an improper fraction. I try not to use the term improper fraction, however, because is it really improper? <laughs> it is still a fraction that we could visualize, but if I was really hungry and I wanted to eat 11 sevenths of the pizza that were out, I could do that. Is it improper? <laughs> Maybe if I ate too much. Instead of calling the improper fractions, we want to make sure that students understand that an improper fraction just means a fraction larger than one. Consequently, students need to know what one whole is in the given problem to help them to successfully understand how to continue solving. Back to our fraction that's larger than 1, we had 11 sevenths. The next thing the teacher says is usually, um, change the improper fraction into a mixed number, please. The students have been taught a procedure for that. So you start to think, oh yeah, I have to figure out how many times 7 goes into 11. I think that it might go in twice. No way, that's too high. Let me think about it. It goes in there once. Or... And that, I think it goes in once, but that would only be seven. So if I counted up eight, nine, 10, 11, I'm going to put that there is a remainder of four. But it's a fraction. So the teacher tells the students to write it that way. The student puts the remainder over the fractional part and now gets one in four sevenths. What we see here is that if the student follows all the procedures, they get the answer, but I'm not convinced that the student or students today will understand the why behind what we're doing about fraction by just following procedures. Many adults have fraction phobia. 
as well because they weren't comfortable using fractions when they were younger. And therefore, when they go to teach it, it becomes out, it becomes really our procedure, just like they, it comes out, I guess, more procedural, just like they learned it. Simplifying fractions. How can we help students to easily understand taking a fraction larger than one and changing it into a mixed number? Let's have them think about what fractional parts are. If we ended up with that total of 11 sevenths, we know that there is a whole that we're talking about there. Since we have sevenths as our denominator, we know that this seven, the whole would be seven sevenths. Based on that, I can use what I know about decomposing from our MathMite friend DC to smash or decompose 11 sevenths into a whole, which would equal seven sevenths. When the students circle the seven sevenths, it helps them remember that the seven seventh is equal to a whole, as you'll see in our video. If our total is 11 sevenths, I'm showing seven sevenths. How many more sevenths are left? Well, we know that there's four sevenths left because seven and four we know equal the 11. So the answer is one and four sevenths. When students are thinking about simplifying fractions this way, they can decompose fractions that are larger than one and put them into a mixed number in a way that makes more sense. In this video, we're gonna show you how you can use different examples of how to use a concrete tool when students are adding fractions with common denominators, coming up with fractions larger than one, and changing it into a mixed number. CPA. When adding fractions, it's really important to make sure that students are understanding what we're talking about conceptually, pictorially, and abstractly. But we don't want to teach those things in, things in isolation. We want to teach through CPA, meaning that kids can show different ways of what they're doing. I like to use our area model for students because they are stamped like the fraction, they aren't stamped like the fraction tiles, and they help students to really conceptualize what's happening as they're simplifying or reducing fractions down to show another name for the fraction. In this video, we're going to show you how to add fractions with common denominators. I also will show you that you can have conversations with students around their thinking or their prior knowledge. What are they doing as they're using the different parts to it? Note that when adding fractions, we might need two of the area model kits so students can see what's actually happening, especially if our totals are going larger than one. Adding fractions with common denominators. Let's use the example 6 eighths plus 4 eighths. To show this in a concrete way, we want students to use their whole sheet of paper and stack their eighths on top to show 6 eighths, and then add four more eighths. You can see as students work in pairs, they can do this simultaneously. Maybe partner A builds the 6 8 and partner B builds the 4 8 We want students to show how many more pieces it takes to create that whole, which in this case, we know that it's 8 8 On one paper, partner A might have 6 8 covering the whole, and on the other, partner B is showing that 4 8 is covering the whole. When the problem is laid out like this, it's easy for them to see how to decompose 4 eighths into 2 eighths and 2 eighths, and take that 2 eighths and combine it with the 6 eighths to make the whole. And then they have the 2 eighths left over. When kids can see the problems concretely with the area model papers, they can use the kind of fraction bond, which really is a pictorial representation of their mathematical thinking. Then abstractly, they can show the new problem that they've created through decomposing and composing, which is 1 plus the 2 eighths. Using decomposing and composing is a great way to show kids how to understand how to add fractions with common denominators. Make sure you check out our DC video on how DC is 
adding together fractions by decomposing to make the problems easier. Adding fractions with uncommon denominators. You can also use the area model papers to help students conceptualize adding fractions with uncommon denominators. The area model papers we use in the video, we have a free template available on our website, are broken down into one half fourth, eighth, and sixteenth. They are friendly fractions to help students understand the patterns of the numbers and how we can add and subtract using different strategies. The video will show you common types of problems that either have an, um, that have an even answer or you could offer the opportunity for students to add them and figure out the simplest form that they would add to the fraction. For this example, we're going to add two-fourths plus four-sixteenths. First, we're going to build two-fourths on the area papers, in my case with a yellow piece then we're going to add 4 sixteenths, which in my set are green. With both the yellow and green pieces on the whole, we want to ask the students, how can we add this together? We learned how to do fractions the traditional way. Many times our teachers said, skip count, find the least common denominator. But I want to pose a different question. Do we really have to find the least common denominator? Could the denominator in this case be force? Could the denominator be eighths? I don't know, could it be 16th? The opportunity for students to look at the problem in an inquiry-based way is super important. By asking questions and grappling with the concepts are about to help them to really truly understand the concept. Too often we teach students procedures with concepts they don't understand. Then when they get to fractions that they have uncommon denominators, they automatically are programmed to skip count by the number and find the common denominator. In our example, if I were to change the denominator for both the fractions to sixteenths, I could take both of my fourths and put four sixteenths on top because one fourth equals four sixteenths. The other fourth would equal four sixteenths, and then I would have my third set of four sixteenths. I would have twelve sixteenths altogether. That's great. The teacher might say to you, uh, can you reduce that now? But what does it mean to reduce or simplify? When we're asking students to do this, are we really sure they understand what they're supposed to do? When we're asking students to do this, we're really asking them, what piece of paper could I lay on top of all 12 of those 16ths? From there, students can use the paper to see that perhaps they could put eighths on top of each of the two 16ths. One side has four eighths and the other side of my area model has two eighths, which could be six eighths. Is that fully reduced? No. Okay, let's try fourths. I put the fourth piece of paper over my two eighths. So now I know I can do that three times. So the simplified answer might be three fourths. Going through this process with concrete manipulatives will help students understand when you're asking them to simplify or reduce to simplest form in a much more visual way. If you ask me, three-fourths, six-eighths, twelve-sixteenths are all correct answers for this particular problem. You can find arguments that say fractions have to be in the simplest form to be correct, and then arguments that say it doesn't really matter. I always tell students that if the question you ask is put, is put into simplest form, Try to do that, or if you look at the multiple choice and you don't see your answer, make sure you find the equivalent fraction, which would might be in a different form of the fraction in the answer. Do we necessarily have to teach kids to make all of those sixteenths? I couldn't think, I couldn't really let kids think, I really like to let kids think in an inquiry-based way and maybe a more effective way by answering that on their own. Could I rename my four sixteenths as two eighths? Could I rename my two fourths as into four eighths? The possibilities 
because those are equivalents of the original fractions of 4 sixteenths and 2 eighths. Of course, then I could add the eighths together and see that I have 6 eighths, even though that's not necessarily, I don't necessarily need to reduce. Maybe a student looks at 2 fourths plus 4 sixteenths and they think of adding it just with fourths. Could you just rename the 4 sixteenths? If fourths, is fourths the least common denominator? No. So why do we teach kids to always skip count and find the least common denominator when in fact in this example, we're showing that you can have other options that might work more efficiently. In this video, we've created a few examples for adding uncommon denominators so you can see how students go about solving problems. Remember, these videos are great to use in a lesson launch for instruction deliver in the classroom. You also can use this idea as a flipped classroom concept where students watch the video prior to reading with you at the math of the teacher station. This allows them to bring some background knowledge to the table as they start the instruction of the concept. Concrete reinforcement in the classroom. After watching this video, it's important that you can use the area model papers as we did in the video, or you can also use pattern blocks or even patty paper. The whole idea is to help kids understand what's happening when they're adding the fractions. When students understand the why, the underlying concept, we can teach them the shortcuts. Shortcuts are great in math, but we shouldn't be taught them unless we really understand the concept and in my case, make them prove it. If you ask me the shortcut of skip counting to find the common denominator isn't much of a shortcut, especially when I understand equivalent fractions, which makes this process a whole lot easier. We hope that you'll check out our other YouTube videos working with our fraction series, including multiplying and dividing. We hope that you'll join us next week as we start looking at subtraction, subtracting uh, fractions. Thanks so much for joining us.